0: welcome to the metro church podcast we hope you will be blessed by this message for more information about metro church visit our website at metrochurch.org.au let's welcome pastor danny googlymucci here he is thank you thank you thank you very much thank you everybody bless you i've got a stool just in case but i might use it tonight but uh um, got an infection in my right toe, so it's hard to stand for too long, but it's so good to be with you guys, always is. Love you heaps, and it's good to have Sharon with me, and, and it's always, um, you know, you do, it's always difficult. You have one of the greatest preachers in the world right here in this church, and we absolutely love having uh, your pastors uh, in Adelaide to speak, has spoken many years at Edge Conference, and uh, it's more than speaking because you transfer who you are. You don't transfer information. If what I give you tonight isn't real to me, you're getting a nice talk, uh, at best nice, uh, but if it doesn't bring any change at all in the way we do things or how it affects us, uh, then what are we doing? And, and my prayer is I don't want to just preach, I want to reach. And I pray tonight as we speak on the subject that I'm not an expert on, but I certainly will speak from my own experience on the subject of broken but open, is let's understand right from the start that broken comes in all shapes and sizes. You know, brokenness isn't just, you know, I had a big divorce or I had this happen. And there are those areas of brokenness and we need to minister to them. But sometimes unforgiveness, disappointment, someone who let you down, a parent who put pressure on you growing up and you never lived up to their expectations, whatever, that can bring a level of brokenness inside of us that sometimes can take years to one realise... And then repair. And uh, many of you know the story of our son, Michael, who broke down quite severely. Uh, He was here in Perth for many years and, uh, you know, to go on the journey with him. And it's so good to have him now in a sound mind, serving God, three beautiful kids and a wonderful wife. As parents, we are very grateful to the grace of God, very grateful for all that God can do. But I didn't realise when he went through his journey that there was a lot of brokenness inside of me. And as a parent, you do ask the question, where did I go wrong? What did I do? What what happened raising children that sometimes they make decisions you think, Did we open the door for this to happen? And so, uh, you know, last time I checked, there's no perfect human beings and uh, God is stuck with us. I remember one night I was just laying in bed and I heard this thought in my mind that God was saying I'm stuck. And I'm going, how does God ever get stuck? He said, I can only build my church with broken human beings because perfect people don't exist only in heaven there are angels and God can't send the angels down to earth to build his church. So many people leave the church because they're hurt by what other people did to them. But then they don't stop and say, but I'm broken too. And I'm sure I've done something to hurt somebody else. And so we don't go to church because everybody's perfect. Oh, I don't want to be a hypocrite and go to church. Well, come and join the rest of us. It's fine. you know. Um, you know we're all going to stuff up sometime. We're going to muck up. And I grew up in church life where I was never good enough for God. My dad was the pastor of a church. He doesn't know any better. He was raised in a culture that uh, come out of Catholicism, but Catholicism in the Italian way back in Italy all those years ago never came out of them, where you've got to do penance and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and then God may accept you. Give money to the priests and they'll bless you. If you don't give money to the priests and they can't bless you, then you're damned. And you know, a lot of those seeds just go from generation to generation. And that's why people, when they think of compassion, love, care, they never think of church. They think of people out in the community that show those qualities, but they don't think the church has got those qualities. Well, i got good news tonight. We are moving into not a new season. We're moving into a new era for the gospel. We're moving into an era where the love of Jesus is not going to be a love that is a cheap grace, but it's going to be a love that brings transformation because of His amazing love towards us. And the greatest days for the church are ahead of us. And I'm so excited by that. The year was 1994. We had taken over uh, a small little group of people in the south of Adelaide, and uh, which now is known as Edge Church. It was called it wasn't it was called our Halloran Hill Assemblies of God back then, and church had had a split, and 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 I was sent down there to just hold a few people together and pastor them. And uh, the rest is history. We just recently, after 20-something years, handed that church over and it's going great, by the way. But in 1994, I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't know if I can do this job. I don't know if I can. I've never pastored a church before. And I remember I was in a, like a dream state. It wasn't a, a full dream, but I was sort of out of it going to sleep. And I saw in the, my mind's eye a picture of a mantelpiece And I'm Italian, so it was made of marble, you know. And so, you know, this big piece of marble mantelpiece with lots and lots of trophies on it. Lots and lots of trophies. And I'm thinking, take one look at me. I haven't won a race in a long time. Um, You know, I run around the block six times and then kick it back under the bed. So, you know, I don't do a lot of exercise. And back then wasn't much different. Uh, That's something I should repent of. But, you know, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm seeing all these trophies and I said to God, what's that all about? He said, I'm going to allow you to lead a church that's going to have trophies of my grace, human beings that have been transformed and changed by my power, and you're going to see them as trophies of my grace. And we can sit back and look at all the uh, politics in church life, all the issues that happen in church life, but I was only sitting back today thinking, after 20 something years, I can start naming the people that came in broken. And God made them whole and today their kids are serving God and some of them their grandkids are serving God because brokenness doesn't have to be our whole life story. We can change and brokenness can come at different times but we can change and we can move forward. So if we're open when we're broken, God is incredibly attracted to that because He's good at healing our brokenness. In 1463, the authorities of the Cathedral of Florence, Italy, purchased a huge 16 foot tall piece of white marble. They commissioned a sculptor from Siena to carve out a figure that would be displayed prominently. The marble was so faulty that the sculptor abandoned the task. The marble was placed in a warehouse where it remained for 40 years before a 26 year old prodigy called Michelangelo was asked if he could make the abandoned and mutilated marble Into anything significant. He said he could. Four years later, the masterpiece statue of David was unveiled. Michelangelo transformed the worthless and discarded marble into something majestic. Michelangelo is quoted as saying, I saw the angel inside the marble and carved until I set him free. I saw the uh, the angel inside the marble and carved until I set him free. God sees the potential and beauty in each one of us and even though the toughest of times and we go through the toughest of times, He sees the angel inside of us and chips away to set us free. God has amazing grace for our broken humanity. The world is broken. I don't need to give you statistics tonight, just go on YouTube and you can find them. And the world is in a bit of a mess but the church right now is being challenged by God to be real, to be authentic an embracing of the brokenness around us. As I look at the life of Jesus, we would absolutely question Him today if He was walking around today on our planet here now at the people He hung around with. He hung around with prostitutes. He hung around with broken people. A woman who'd had several marriages and she'd been dumped by every one of those husbands. She wasn't the one causing the divorce. She was dumped, but she had the bad name and people would look at her with disdain. And she has an encounter with Jesus at a well which shouldn't have, she shouldn't have been speaking to Jesus because he was a Jew and, and so on and she was a Samaritan. And yet within one encounter with Jesus, a whole town gets to hear about the healing that had begun in her life. One of the stories that I love a lot when it comes to the area of brokenness, because I think we can identify with it in some ways, is Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. And I'm going to read it. I hope you hang in there as I read a bit of Scripture here. It's the story of a man who'd been possessed by demons. It says in verse 26 of Luke chapter 8, they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless, naked, and living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, "'Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, "'son of the most high God? "'Please, I beg you, don't torture me.' "'For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit "'to come out of him. "'This spirit had often taken control of the man. "'Even when he was placed under guard "'and put in chains and shackles, "'he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness "'completely under the demon's power. "'Jesus demanded, what is your name?' "'Legion,' he replied, for he was filled with many demons. "'The demons kept begging Jesus "'not to send them into the bottomless pit. "'There happened to be a large herd of pigs "'feeding on the hillside nearby, "'and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. "'So Jesus gave them permission.' Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. I think that's where Deviled Ham started. But anyway, some of you don't even know what that is. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. Listen to this, he was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Do you know when the church really becomes the church? Not everyone's going to like it. And when the church really becomes the church and miracles begin to happen, we assume that the whole community is going to clap. But let me tell you, the church has always risen amongst the the winds of opposition. And we don't need to worry about that because I believe there's a new release of God's power coming to this planet where we're going to see the broken healed. And let me tell you, the media may not like it. They may make fun of it, but we don't need to worry about that. Because let me tell you, when people who were tied up in shackles are now sitting at the feet of Jesus not bound anymore, but in peace. I think that's a miracle worth celebrating and seeing that God is able to do that today. So Jesus returned to the boat and left crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who'd been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home. Saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. This was the first missionary that Jesus sent out. How does a first missionary come from being totally tormented, broken and in a total mess becomes the first missionary Jesus sends out? Because God and Jesus are attracted to brokenness, not distracted or detracted from it. And I've seen religion not put this posture forward. When my son broke down, and I'm not being reactionary in saying this, when our son broke down so severely, it was well over 10 years ago now, around that time, the, the greatest misunderstanding came from the church. People that were religious. Uh, I was at Hillsong Conference and I'm sitting there and it was my first conference after Michael had had his challenge and it was a hard time and uh, you know, people would walk past you and go, Hi, how are you going? And keep walking. Very few that used to stop and chat would stop and chat because they didn't know what to say. And I certainly don't judge the motive behind all that. But a man who was the leader of a major movement comes and sees me sitting alone before the conference is about to start. And he said, I'm so sorry. But you know, really, this is a big one. He said, I don't think you'll ever get over this one. He said, I don't think you'll ever be the same again. And to be honest, I don't think the country I come from will ever have you back to preach. Because in our culture, if the son sins, the father is also responsible. Now, I'm sitting at Hillsong, you know, already broken. And a man who is a leader in church world tells you that. I thought, I'm totally stuffed. I'm finished. My life's gone. Because if I can't get over this, if this is too big a hurdle to jump over, then it's the end for me and my ministry. Not realising that religion does that, but Jesus doesn't do that. And there's no brokenness that Jesus is put off by and says, now that's one I can't fix. And I want to tell you, a journey began through my son's brokenness inside of me that although I knew parts of this truth, I began to realise afresh how much if we're open with our brokenness, how much God can bring miracles into our lives that display His amazing grace. You see, when I came out of hospital in 217, after my bowel operation, I was in intensive care. And while they are treating me in intensive care, I said to a nurse, can you get my phone, please? I need to write something down. She goes, you're in intensive care. We, we can't get you. I said, please just grab my phone. And I wrote into my phone, God's saying, I believe that He has no grace for carnality. He only has grace for broken humanity. And I wrote that in my phone thinking, what does that mean? And the Bible says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And what God was showing me is when we say, I'm going to do it my way, when we say, I don't need God, stuff that, and I'm going to sort out my own issues and no one's going to tell me what to do with my life. There's no grace for that. You're not allowing the grace to come in. The grace is there, but we don't allow it to come in because our hurt and our pain puts that wall up. But when you say, God, I'm broken, I'm a mess, and you know, without you, I can't do anything, and there's a grace that comes flooding in. For my humility in my broken humanity saying, God, I can't go another day without You. I need You in my life. And the healing process begins when we see this happen. Lessons from this story. This guy who's now in the cemeteries and and he's naked and he's a mess and he's mentally tormented. If you're taking notes, lesson number one, Jesus is attracted to brokenness. The church needs to get this as a revelation. Revelation. I was talking to a pastor in Melbourne which will go unnamed and and he had a split in his church because too many broken people started coming in. Too many people with issues started coming in and sitting in church in the seats that those had been in church all their life used to sit in. How dare they come in and take our seats? We've been building this church for years and they smell, going off about the smells and, and a split took place in this church. Church never recovered because the people that had been in church, the churchians, could not understand that Jesus is attracted to brokenness and it's okay. And I'm grateful for some of the stuff, even this morning, talking to, to young men that are being are going through uh, you know, treatment at the moment and speaking to them. And, and I feel honoured to be in their presence because now I look at them and I think, wow, trophies of God's grace. What can come out of here? Who can become a preacher out of this? Who can become a businessman? Who can become, what can happen? And one of them says to me this morning, when I get out of rehab, I want to start a rehab and I want to help others. And when we take our brokenness, And we allow God to shape it and use it. What can happen in the transformation of others? Jesus is attracted to brokenness. Now, A, this guy had no home under point one. A, he had no home. A home can speak of belonging. You know, you can live in a house and not be in a home. A house is different than a home. And so this guy is in in a place, he's got no home. There's no belonging. There's no protection. He's out Out in the elements, there's no protecting. There's no roof over his head. There's no security. There's no safety and no community. Do you know how many people in Australia die every year and it takes weeks to find the body? Because they knew nobody, no community. And it takes ages for people to find out that it actually died. They might have had a physical roof over their head and a home probably paid off, but no belonging. No sense of protection, security, safety and community. We have people all around us like that. He was naked, B. He was naked. That speaks to me of no identity. Often how we dress and when we're clothed, there's a giving away of what we're like, what kind of person we are. When we dress a certain way, oh, he, he likes that or she likes that. But when you're naked, there's no identity. You feel exposed and very Vulnerable. I tell you, they might be wearing the latest jeans around Perth today, even the ones with holes in them, and cost more. But they're naked on the inside. No identity, no sense of belonging and feeling vulnerable and exposed. See, he was in a cemetery, hanging around dead places. You know how many of the living dead today around us that are hanging out at all the clubs and going wherever, but they feel like they're in a cemetery. They feel like they're surrounded by dead things. And so when I look at the sky, I see in this story not a lot's changed in our world, even though this is a physical picture. There is an emotional and spiritual picture of where people are at. The second main point is that blockages are the devil's work to stop the broken getting to Jesus. You see, Jesus encounters a massive storm before he gets to the sky. With the disciples, they're going to the other side of the lake. You know, the other side of the lake was a place where Jews weren't allowed to go. It was an out of bounds place. Jesus just upset the religious people because he always went where religion tells you you shouldn't go. And while he's going across the lake, a storm breaks out. This is where Peter says to him, don't you care that we perish? It's amazing when Peter gets to his old age, he says, cast all your care upon him. When he's writing in 1 Peter 5, telling you his story, he learnt that night in the middle of the lake that if you're going to get to the place of being a giver of miracles on behalf of God, there's some storms that are going to try to stop you. And in the story we see they nearly died crossing the lake Because there's a devil out there that will do anything at work tomorrow to say, don't make that coffee for that person. They're going to think you're you're trying to suck up to them. Don't give a word of encouragement. Don't do that. They're not massive storms, but there are blockages that sometimes come our way. I'll do it tomorrow. Remember the story of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 8, I think, where they wanted to get rid of the frogs? Get rid of the frogs. And Moses says, well, okay, we'll get rid of the plague of frogs. Frogs. He goes, when do you want the frogs to go? He goes, tomorrow. They're covered in frogs. I mean, he's got frogs on his head and frogs in his coat and frogs in his throat. Swallowed a tadpole and woke up with a frog in his throat the next morning. But, you know, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible. (laughs) And with all the frogs and a plague over the nation, he goes, do it tomorrow. You know, one of the greatest words of Satan is tomorrow. Don't do it today. Sort your life out tomorrow. Don't fix your brokenness today, fix it tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. I used to work in a menswear store where my boss put up a sign, sale starts tomorrow. So you come tomorrow and the sign's still up there, sale starts tomorrow. (laughs) One of the greatest words of the enemy is tomorrow. But I believe with all my heart, if you were here this morning, that God wants to open up a realm for so many in this church for divine appointments where God's going to cause you to have appointments with people, where you're going to be a giver of God's grace to people by not preaching at them, but just loving people and caring for people and watch out for those blockages. Push through because when you do, miracles do happen because number three, breakthroughs are possible. We've got to believe that no matter how messy things get, breakthrough is possible. I've got to be this honest. When Michael hit the wall, I thought what that man said was possibly true. You'll never get over this. It'll never be the same. We were attacked in the newspapers for so many days that Sharon and I couldn't get out the house to go shopping. We had to wait till late at night to go shopping because of all the television stations and cameras at the front of our house, knocking on every door in our street to ask if they could get dirt on us. Pretty horrible stuff. And you've got to be, you be—you can be forgiven for thinking, I think the best days we've had are behind us. And yet I stand here today, having been through the last three years, not a great time in the natural and I want to tell you, God is awesome. He is real. I stand in His grace today because breakthrough is possible. Breakthrough is possible and we've got to believe that. But not only breakthrough is possible, number four, a better life is possible. It's one thing to have a moment of breakthrough. It's another thing to have a better life. And you know, there's a difference between having problems that come from time to time that rattle our lives than having a life of brokenness. And oh, I've got moments of brokenness. In fact, I'll share it with you now. I was going to share with you later. But you know, um, when Michael went through what he went through, I took him to see a psychologist in New South Wales. I'd never met this guy before, didn't know who he was. And uh, he met us at the airport. We'd been followed by the media so much. And I get to the airport in, uh, in New South Wales in a country town and he meets us. And the first thing he does is he hugs me. And he hugs Michael in his brokenness and he goes, I'm so glad to meet you guys. And then says to Michael, the Michael that's going to come out of this is a much, much better and different Michael than the one that's gotten to this point. And starts to speak life and hope, took us back to their house and gave us a roast for dinner. I never knew this guy. Spends a day with Michael and then he says, I need to see you. And I need to see you for about three hours tomorrow. I said, yeah, but he's got the problem, not me. And then he got me to fill in a form about my personality type or whatever. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you all the good things about you. And then I'll tell you the things that are blockages in your life. I said, oh, I'm glad you're starting with the good stuff first. He said, you're a feeler, doer. You feel stuff and you just do it. You don't stop to sort of work out how it's going to work. You just feel it, you do it. You have high revelation. You are transparent. You wear your heart on your sleeve. You love people. And, uh, you know, um, my little granddaughter, you know, she's about eight years old. She says to me the other day, no, no, you remind me of Father Christmas. I said, oh, really, love? She goes, yeah, you've got a big heart and you love people. Oh, I could have given her anything she wanted (laughs) at that moment. (laughs) He goes, you're enthusiastic and emotional. And you don't mind delegating things to other people. I go, keep going. This is good. (laughs) Worship at my footstool. This is great. And he goes, however. (laughs) You don't like those howevers. You're also very impatient. You get annoyed very easily. You want a quick fix for everything. You don't wait for people to catch up. So you get a revelation and your staff are supposed to get it like that. And when they don't, you get really angry with them. Man, why don't they get it? What's wrong with them? I go, okay, well, it's all true what you're saying. In fact, that night I rang Sharon. She was at home and I said, I found a man that told me everything about me. It was like the story of the woman at the well. And I read the stuff to her and I said, is that me? She goes, uh-huh. When you, Sharon doesn't say much, just a uh-huh is enough to know that uh, he was right. He said, you trust too quickly. And then he said this, and you carry guilt all the time. You carry guilt all the time. And I fell apart. I started crying in his office. You see, as a little kid, and I'm not blaming my past, but i got to understand it so I can live beyond it. But I could never do anything. Growing up, I was an only child. And growing up, being told, that was stupid. Why did you do that like that for? I should have done it myself. It would have taken half as long. Cut the lawn. That's not how you cut the lawn. And so you grow up always you know, with a love that's conditional to you doing certain things. The unconditional love bit I never understood because their background was like that. You see, what one generation doesn't repair, the next will repeat. But if one generation doesn't repair, and trouble is when we repeat it, we repeat it worse and more magnified. Because in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says if a son sins and the father does the right thing, the father doesn't pay for the sins of the son and vice versa. But if we don't repair the issue up to four generations, Pentecostals have cast demons that go back to four generations and the only way to fix it biblically is obedience. Stop doing the wrong stuff and deliverance comes. It's when we repeat stuff over and over again, we give the enemy a foothold. Into a place that he has legal right. And it wasn't until I was, this is in my early days, and I was nearly 16, I think, when I met Sharon and started hanging out at her house uh, with her mum and a whole bunch of musos that used to come to her mum's house and we used to have sing songs on a Sunday afternoon. I fell asleep on Sharon's mother's lounge one Sunday afternoon, and Sharon and some of her friends, because I'll let you in on something, I used to have very long eyelashes. Wow. I wish I still had them. I could comb them back and maybe have a bit of a hairpiece. But I mean, it's just uh, very long eyelashes. And so one afternoon, one afternoon, she decides with her friends to paint my eyelashes while I was asleep on the lounge. And then we went to church Sunday night. And I heard a message from a man called Paul Newsham about Jesus being like the person that would walk into a courtroom and take all our guilt and stand in our place and set us free from the accusation of wrongdoing. And he's telling this whole sermon and I start bawling my eyes out and the mascara started to run. (laughs) Sharon's sitting next to me and she looks across and sees the black coming down my face. She gives me a tissue. I go to wipe my face. Now my whole face is black, you know. And, uh, but you know, somehow I was the first one to go to the altar that night because I didn't care. Doesn't matter what people think because for the first time in a long time, I actually heard a message that God was okay with me and that God loved me unconditionally. And with my brokenness, He still wa- rather me broken than not at all. And over the years, I've sort of believed that, but with what we've gone through as a family, I realise that it's true. Broken, but open. You look at the life of David and he did some pretty stupid things. He committed adultery, then tried to get the woman's husband killed and and he lies. And I mean, it's a pretty, pretty heavy rap. How does he write Psalm 139 and go, search me, O God? If there's anything in my heart, if there's anything in my motives, if there's anything in my thinking, my mind, if there's anything in how I behave, go for it. Because if I go to the bottom of the ocean, your love will find me there. If I go to the top of the mountain, your love will find me there. You knew me before I was born. You know, I only knew that passage of Scripture when my dad preached it. And God is going to get you. And if you've done wrong, you can't hide from God. You go to the bottom of the ocean, he'll come and find you to discipline you. And I go, oh, I don't think God likes me. And I actually don't think I can get away with anything because he's going to come and grab me by the ears and deal with me. Do you know how many people think that that's what God is like? And I wanna tell you, we're coming into a season where I believe broken but open is not a licence to do the wrong thing, but it's, a, it's an openness that says, God, I trust you, I can't do this on my own and you can come and give me a better life because a better life is possible. This man sits at the feet of Jesus. All of a sudden, all the agitation's gone. Not only does he sit at the feet of Jesus, he goes and gets dressed. You know, when Jesus gets hold of us, he clothes us. And he dresses us with dignity and and security and identity. We all have an identity in him. And then the Bible says he was in his right mind. He has a revelation of Jesus and then a transformation takes place that then becomes a demonstration of him going home and changing the life of others. we got to believe that that's still possible today that broken but open is possible. The man becomes a man of purpose that now drives his life. How do you go from a cemetery to having a a purpose in life, a total purpose in life? And I have a gut feeling that we're going to see miracles that are not going to take 10 months of rehab, but we're going to see people coming in and with a supernatural encounter with Jesus, they might need some Professional help, I understand that, but a journey can begin. And that journey can go from agitation to sitting at the feet of Jesus, to being clothed with dignity, to have a right mind, and to have purpose. I want the musicians to come, but you know, tonight I can honestly say, I'd rather work with people that are honest and go, life really sucks for me right now, and but I I do need help. Let's go on the journey. I've been dealing with a situation, Sharon and I, over a broken marriage that's pretty severe. And I only spoke to the guy last night again on the phone because I said to him, You know, the difference between you and me, I said to him, is not that I'm better than you because I'm only one decision away from becoming an idiot, as I've said to you this morning. I said, But you know, I made a decision years ago I was going to live my life out of convictions, not feelings. Because when convictions make the final decision, it's a different story than when feelings. I said, you've, you've, you've fallen in love with a woman that's not washed your clothes yet, not picked up your kids from school, not angry that your kids are getting more of your attention than hers. So you've got this fantasy thing going on because you've got feelings and you've lost feelings, but you've got new feelings. I said, but unless you become a person of conviction, your feelings are going to, they're going to confuse you. They are going to change and your life one day will end up in a worse mess than you are right now. But we can go on the journey. He rang me last night and he goes, as much as I don't want to, can we try again to go on this journey? And I've got to believe that he could be a trophy of God's grace and she could be a trophy of God's grace. God is brilliant at working with broken things. You know, Gideon in Judges chapter 7 went to war with the Midianites. I won't tell you the story, we haven't got time. But he was given a jar And inside that jar was a lamp or a light. And he says, when you go into battle, break the jar and then the light will shine. Years ago, I read this and I thought, you know, sometimes we've got to be broken before the light will shine. Do you know people will listen to you more when your honesty is about your own brokenness and go, this is where I've been, but this is how my light shone. But if we stay closed, that light would have never shone if the jar had stayed whole. And he puts this grace in earthen vessels, the Bible says, cracked vessels. Remember the woman, I think it was Lazarus' sister actually, who went in one night in Matthew 14, 3 and breaks a jar of perfume over Jesus' head. She loved Jesus so much and been through so many challenges and questions. You know, it says that the room was filled with the aroma. You know, when you're broken but open and honest, there's a good smell that comes from you. Because when we act all religious, but we're broken and not letting it show, there's a ugh when people talk. But there's a mmm when people are honest with their brokenness, a broken jar and the aroma filled the room. Jesus broke the bread and fed the multitude because when we become food for others, you know, I sit with non-Christian people now and I tell them, I don't have the answer to this. I don't have the answer to that. But I want to tell you, this is all the answers I do have. Do you feel scared? Peter Niuta, who talked, I talked about this morning, he goes, do you feel scared sometimes? I go, yep. Do you, sometimes you question whether you are going to die? I go, yeah. And I said, but this is how I talk to myself. This is how I counsel myself. As we shared here last Sunday night, see a broken bread and the multitude was fed. A broken spirit in Psalm 51 God will not despise. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you know how many people are angry at the church that are not going to be able to use that excuse when they stand before God? Why waste our lives being angry about stuff that happened to us when He is so awesome in healing our brokenness and using our brokenness so we can help others? You know, in conclusion tonight, we've run out of time. Brokenness is part of all our lives. God is attracted to our brokenness. Let's be open when dealing with our brokenness and watch God's sanctifying power go to work. When my son hit the wall, some of the things that were said to my daughter from people that go to church, you think people haven't had a revelation, you know, just stuff that's said. And the sad thing is people will use that as an excuse not to go to church anymore. You know, you go to one bad restaurant, that means you never eat out again. I mean, someone does wrong me in some of the stuff that happened in hospital. It doesn't mean I may never go back again. I don't want to go back again. Picking me up for an x-ray that was for the guy on the top floor. Bringing me medications that weren't mine to take. My wife was in the room. People say, that's it. That's the end of hospitals for me. I will never walk through the doors of a hospital after what they did. But people do that with church every week. And you think, honestly, the God of the church is so awesome because He understands our brokenness. We should understand everybody else's and go on a journey of broken but open. Search me, O God. If there's anything, go for it because I know You love me. You know, we don't fix brokenness one time and that's it. I'm forever dealing with brokenness in my life. I just don't feel like I'm a dirt bag anymore. Lived for years, not good enough. I make her happy, I make him upset. I make him happy, make her upset. I said to someone, I'll never let people do that to me ever again. People that left our church and blame me for things I never did. And I cry myself to sleep thinking, why? I love those people. And I wanna tell you, it's nice to be free because I close with this in James chapter one. It says that we will go through tests. But He says count it all joy because those tests will grow your endurance. And when your endurance is fully grown, you'll have need of nothing. Going through the loss of Chris in 216, thought I was gonna die in 217, cancer in 218, 19, and yet I stand before you not perfect, still broken in lots of ways, but I can say I don't need anything. God and me are okay. If I never stand in a pulpit again, it doesn't matter because God and me are okay. And when you get to that place, you become better for everyone around you because you don't walk around grumpy. You don't walk around looking like you've been sucking lemons for years. You don't walk around looking like the whole world owes you. Why did I get cancer? And people say to me, why did you get cancer? And I go, why not me? What makes me better than anyone else? I go, really? And then you bring the eternal perspective of God And things change. Can we bow our heads tonight? It took a broken man and the story of the Good Samaritan to heal another broken man. A Samaritan was despised and hated, but he made himself whole. He believed his life had purpose and he binds the wounds of another broken person that possibly was a Jew that would have hated him. While every head's bowed and every eye closed tonight. You know, Jesus saw the multitude and felt compassion, whether they were hungry for a lunch or whether they needed physical healing. The size of the brokenness is not the issue, as we're all broken. And tonight I'm not going to have an altar call. I respect you, and I respect the size of this room and happy to talk to people afterwards, by the way. I'll wait and talk to you. But in this spot right here, I want to make this an altar call. For all of us, if you go, Pastor Danny, I, I want to deal with my brokenness, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what people will say or, or my partner or, or whatever. And tonight you say, I believe what Pastor Jeff said at the beginning, a new day starts today. You can choose today to not give in to brokenness and go on the journey of wholeness. And I want to tell you, it's the greatest journey you could go on in God and your life will not be wasted and He'll make up for the years that were wasted. And while every head's bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor Danny, pray for me tonight that I'll be able to embrace this journey, broken but open but head in the right direction. Lift up your hand, I'll see it. I'll pray with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, God bless 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 you. Thank you, thank you. So many Heavenly Father, tonight we don't need an emotional response. But I felt right from the beginning, I didn't know what Pastor Jeff was going to say about a new day. But I felt that people could choose today. They could choose today to say, no more letting my brokenness override me. But I'm going to break out of this with Jesus' help. Father, will You do for these people uh, what You've done for me and many others to go on this journey. And Father, I pray that you will absolutely do miracles in the lives of these people over this next season of time, I pray in Jesus' Name. As Pastor Jeff comes, I just felt to say this, please, you need to, need to hear this. Your brokenness doesn't disqualify you from worship. Your brokenness does not disqualify you from connection and fellowship. It doesn't disqualify you from serving. If you're open, broken but open, then we're all in this together. And what the devil wants to do is alienate you from God. He wants to alienate you from worship. He doesn't care whether you stuff up your life. He wants you to stuff up your life. He just doesn't want you to worship. He doesn't want you to stay in connection. He wants to alienate you so that you are lonely and isolated. Father, I pray as I close this meeting right now, that Lord, those that have raised their hand and others as well, we will break this thing in the back, just break the neck of this thing by worshipping in the pain, serving in the pain, following you in the challenge. And then the thing, the breakthrough will come.
1: In Jesus' Name I pray. Amen and amen, thank you. Amen, amen. Just while every head is still bowed and every eye closed, we just wanna take this opportunity to, if you don't know Jesus, then we want to introduce you to him. we want to give you an opportunity to turn your life around and say, you know what, I'm going to start a journey. I'm going to start walking with Jesus every day. And if you'd like me to pray with you, then I'd love for you to lift your hand as well. So I know who I'm praying with. It's not a joining this church, putting your hand up. It's a, I want to turn my life, I want to give my life to Jesus. Then we'd love to pray with you and we'd love to so you be discipled, and see so you start a journey of that relationship with Jesus. Is anyone like that here tonight? Then let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are in and through our lives. God, we thank you for your healing, for your restoration over every single life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's thank Pastor Danny one more time. That was great. so open and vulnerable and willing to share his story so thank you so much and maybe you didn't put up your hand at that invitation for an altar call but we have this thing in our church called a yes text and uh, you can just text yes to 0488 826 and every morning for the next 30 days, you'll get a, a scripture and a prayer that you can actually pray for your life and speak over your life. And that goes for 30 days. And when that finishes, you can, you're invited to join other, uh, other series. But the reason we do it is we want to teach you how to read the Bible and we want to teach you how to pray. And so maybe you didn't put your hand up or maybe you're early in your Christian walk and you're like, oh, that would be a great tool for me every single day. Then you're welcome to text yes, that number as well. If you're not so savvy with mobile phones or you're overseas, you're welcome to visit our web, uh, webpage, yes.metrochurch.org.au. Just leave your information there. And every morning at 7am, you'll get an email with the exact same information that's in there as well. It's our yes text 0488 392. We'd love for you to be involved with that